AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and a very warm welcome to episode 100 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 15th of April 2023 and I can't quite believe that we've actually made it to 100 episodes, but here we are. And to celebrate this milestone in this episode, we'll take a little bit of a look back at the history of AFF. Later in the episode, I'll speak to AFF's founder, Clifford Reichlin, and to the AFF Forum moderator, Lindsay Wilson, who you may know better as QFWP. Uh, who happened to be the third person ever to join the current version of the forum back in 2002. That's all coming up, but first let's start this episode, as always, with a quick roundup of the latest Australian airline, travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And Canberra is once again getting international service, with Fiji Airways announcing yesterday it will launch direct flights between Canberra and Nandi. The flights will be timed to connect easily to and from Los Angeles, San Francisco and Vancouver. Canberra hasn't had regular international service since 2020 when Singapore Airlines and Qatar Airways both pulled out. Qatar had planned to restart a Doha to Canberra flight via Melbourne last year, um, but at the last minute switched the destination to Adelaide. Fiji was Canberra's first international destination back in 2004 when Air Pacific launched a short-lived Canberra to Nandi flight. Virgin Australia has expanded its international network, relaunching flights last month to Samoa and Vanuatu, and it's also recently launched a new route from the Gold Coast to Bali. Meanwhile, Qantas has resumed non-stop flights from Melbourne to Tokyo, and it will launch a new route tomorrow from Melbourne to Jakarta. The Hilton Honours Loyalty Program has launched a new status match challenge for members of other hotel loyalty programs. If you hold the equivalent of gold or higher status with a program such as Marriott Bonvoy, IHG1 Rewards, World of Hyatt or Best Western Rewards, you can get instant Hilton Gold status for 90 days. Then, if you stay at least eight nights at Hilton Hotels within those 90 days, your gold status will be extended until the end of March 2025. That's almost two years away. Alternatively, stay 14 nights within those 90 days, and you'll get Hilton Diamond status until March 2025. The UK government has once again increased its air passenger duty charged on all flights departing the UK as part of the ticket price. It's now also added an ultra-long-haul band, which gets slapped with an even higher departure tax compared to other medium- and long-haul flights. On flights from the UK to destinations in countries with a capital city more than 5,500 miles from London, passengers over 16 now have to pay £91, or around 170 Australian dollars, to the UK government as part of the ticket price. And in premium cabins, premium economy, business and first class, that tax is now £200 per passenger, or $372. Ultra-long-haul destinations from the UK include Japan, Singapore, South Africa, and obviously Australia. Qatar Airways has quietly extended the status of all of its privileged club members until the end of 2023 in one final COVID extension. Qantas Restaurants has ended its partnership with Quandu, meaning you can no longer earn Qantas points for reserving a table at a restaurant or downloading the Quandu app. 
Mongolia has temporarily removed the requirement for Australian tourists to apply for a visa in order to travel to the country. Until the end of 2025, in addition to Australian citizens, visa-free travel to Mongolia is now available to citizens of 33 other countries, including New Zealand and most of Europe. That change with Mongolia came into effect on the 1st of April, which is also when South Korea temporarily removed its requirement for citizens of Australia and 21 other countries to apply for a Korea Electronic Travel Authorization, or KETA, ahead of travelling. The Korean government said this is to celebrate the Visit Korea Year, and the ETA exemption applies until the end of 2024. That's what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by following Australian Frequent Flyer on Facebook or subscribing to The Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday. For our 100th episode, I thought it would be a good opportunity to take a look back at the history of AFF. This year, Australian Frequent Flyer will turn 25 years old. AFF, as it's now known, was one of the first ever frequent flyer websites in Australia, or just about anywhere for that matter, dating all the way back to 1998, when even Qantas and Anset didn't have the functionality on their own websites to calculate the number of points needed to book a reward flight, let alone to make a booking online. This presented an opportunity for a clever entrepreneur, and I'm joined now by the person who seized that opportunity, the founder of AFF, Clifford Reichlin, who continued to own and operate AFF right up until last year. Welcome, Clifford. Hi, Matt. Thank you very much. So it's almost 25 years since you started AFF. Why did you originally uh, get into the business? Well, as I said, it was 25 years ago. At that time, um, I was a management consultant. I actually had been for about 13 years before that as well. So most of my post-uni experience was in management consulting. And um, I really wasn't happy in the corporate world. Never enjoyed it. Didn't like wearing shoes. And um, I noticed how um, my colleagues who are paid well to be supposed to be rational and give rational advice to companies were obsessed with frequent flyer points. And I'll never forget, one day I came back from lunch and I saw a colleague of mine sitting at his desk reconciling his boarding passes with, um, with his frequent flyer statement. I thought, I thought that's interesting. You know, he should be smarter than that. He should you know, have a better, way, better use of his time than just doing that. So I guess I basically was looking for an excuse to, to, to leave the corporate world. Um, at the same time, the internet was just starting out and kind of intuitively knew there was a lot of scope for that, but I wasn't quite sure what to do. As you mentioned, there were, um, the airline websites lacked functionality. They were just basically um, um, brochures and there was no ability to work out anything you know, on, on their sites. So I had this idea of transposing all the point tables, because in, in those days you used to get um, a brochure from the airline with tables and points you know, needed to go from A to B. So what I did, I created a really simple database, which had all those points in it, and created a really, really simple, embarrassingly simple SQL query to interrogate the database. So basically, you could say you wanted to go from Melbourne to London, you've got Qantas points, and you want to travel in business class, and it'll tell you how many points you needed. So really, really simple, just worked for Anset, Qantas, and Flybuyers, but nobody else was doing it. Then I think what really put AFF on the map was I was looking for a, a URL, a domain name for this product. And I tried all kinds of things which wasn't available. Then I just tried you know, frequentflyer.com.au. And for some reason, Qantas had never took that name. So I grabbed it and um, I created this really simple website called frequentflyer.com.au, which had this points calculator. 
And that's how I just started. All right. So how did you get the word out there? Like, how did you get people coming to the site and using the points calculator initially? Well, in those days, there wasn't much competition for starters. So there was, there was nothing really else available. But that said, also, there wasn't a Google. So you, you couldn't find the site easily. But the, um, I think I might have reached out to a couple of um, publications you know, to kind of promote AFF. And The Age, which is a Melbourne newspaper, came around to my house and did this big article about the website. And that kind of put really AFF on the map. Once it's published in one newspaper, other newspapers read the article and, you know, and they know about it. That article probably gave it the initial boost. Then what I did was I created a little widget of the calculator. And I gave that code at no cost to, or I made it available on the website for online travel agents. So they can simply download the code and put it on their website. That gave the online travel agent the ability to offer that functionality on, on, their, on their website. So it's a win-win. Why it's a win for me was because when the results were displayed, they were displayed on the, on the AFF website. So now I gave them the, the user the option to you know, sign in for a newsletter and I got, got the details. So I guess this, this was viral marketing back in, back in 98, in, in early days. Yeah, really interesting. So within a couple of years, Qantas and Anset did improve their websites, uh, you know, giving you the opportunity to calculate the number of points you needed on their own websites. And that, that made the points calculator tool somewhat obsolete, but obviously you didn't stop there. What was the next thing that you did? Yeah, absolutely. Once they started offering that functionality, my tool became superfluous. So I tried a couple of other things. I tried a calculator on the old Palm Pilot product. It kind of didn't really work. And a few other things. But then I just stumbled upon bulletin boards, which is kind of a thing you know, of the forerunner to, I guess, to discussion forum. And there was a product available, which was just a, it's a freebie. It wasn't hosted on, on my server. It was hosted externally. And I just kind of plugged in a little bulletin board onto AFF. That would have been about, probably about 2000, I think. And yeah, miraculously, people started using it. Now, I was quite I was flabbergasted that people started using this as a, you know, um, like I hadn't really had much experience in, in that at all. So I then replaced this freebie, this little uh, plugin, with proper forum software, I think in um, 2000, 2001. And um, yeah, just continued to grow. In fact, AFF now today is a, um, it has the same data as, as was on the second iteration of the forum software installed in 2000. What kind of questions were people asking in 2000 and 2001 on the bulletin board? In those days, the programs were a lot more simple than they are now. There was less of them. Probably there would have been um, a lot of questions about destination information, um, travel insurance type of questions, um, recommendations of flights. It wouldn't have been as sophisticated as it is now. And I believe you also had a product at one point called Frequent Flyer Friend. Was that That's right. Okay. That, there's another product, which um, was actually a pretty good product. I thought it was anyway. It was a paid product and it worked for, you, you can get a Qantas version and a United version. So what, what you do is you, you buy the product, you put it onto your PC and um, you specify what award flight you were looking for. And it would then periodically dial into the Qantas website and act as your agent to try and find availability for that flight. If it found it, it would alert you that the flight was available so you can go in and book it. I sold a few hundred versions of, you know, of, of that program and it worked really well until Qantas started blocking um, screen scraping and then kind of you know, fell over somewhat. So AFF was trying to help people use their points all the way back in the early 2000s. And, um, that's right. That's, that's still the case, of course. Long and rich history in doing that, yes. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned earlier that um, at the start you got people to come to AFF and sign up to the newsletter, the, that newsletter being the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette, which is still going strong in 2023 and which, as, as you know, I write now. What was the first gazette? When was, when was that released? 
That was released in early, I think it was February 2000. It was a, um, as, as, as I mentioned before, I was getting all these email addresses of people who were using our points calculator. And intuitively, I knew that you know, I need to have some kind of engagement with these people. So um, I employed somebody who was a, actually a, um, a niece of a friend of mine. She was a journalist, just fell out in journalism. And um, I got her to write it was a monthly newsletter. She wasn't an, an airline person, but she was a, quite a skilled journalist. She came up with the name Frequent Fly Gazette. And I used to send her in those days, I used to send her a check every month in the mail, and she'd write this newsletter. It was a simple, it was, there was no, um, no images, no graphics, just a text-based email on, um, um, and, and because she wasn't an airline person, it was really quite generic. But it was well-written, and clearly was of interest. Do you have any observations about how frequent flyer programs have changed over the last 25 years? Oh, yes. <laughs> Where did I start? Um, I guess back in those days, they weren't a profit center. They were designed to, um, to genuinely reward passengers for their loyalty. And points could only be earned by flying. And generally, points could be redeemed only by, by flying as well. Not, not, all, not all the time, but generally true. I guess the big changes include um, the introduction of membership tiers and most importantly, partners, you know, both airline and non-airline partners. And in particular, banks for the non-airline partners. Because that, can, that changed the whole landscape completely. That's when the airlines started earning a lot of money through the frequent flight programs. So there's no longer really a loyalty program. It's more of a profit center and a marketing avenue. And with online forums, do you have any, I'll ask you the same question, do you have any observations about how forums, um, not just AFF, but online forums generally have changed over the last few decades? Yep. Um, I think from a, from a technical perspective, they've changed dramatically. They, they clearly... Um, look better, run better, have more functionality now. Back in those days, even the term you know, social media wasn't a thing. It, wasn't, it was basically a bulletin board. And then I think with the advent of social media, discussion forums started getting technically more advanced. But what hasn't, one thing hasn't changed, which is critical, I think. What hasn't changed is the, um, the sense of community. That's really what forums are all about. And, and that's where AFF excels in, in the sense of community. So people have shared their passion for topic you know, for, you know, over the years through forums. Do you have a proudest moment from your time running AFF? Not a single moment. <laughs> I've got lots of, lots of proud moments. But you shouldn't forget that for 23 years, I, I you know, lived 23, 24 years, actually. And I lived, breathed AFF. And I created my living through AFF. So there were, and there were lots of milestones in that period, which I was proud of. Some of them were fairly minor, like we won the Net Guide Site of the Month in, in a few months after AFF was launched. Oh, right. I was incredibly proud of. Net Guide doesn't exist anymore, but you know, I was very proud of that award. Also, I'm a big ABC Radio National fan, and I was once interviewed on The Breakfast Show um, on Radio National. We also asked for the ACCC to, you know, to help them run the investigations, which I was, I was proud of as well. So there are lots of things, but I think if pushed, I say the two things I'm most proud of, I guess, firstly, is the sense of accomplishment in creating something from an idea and then running it for over two decades to the point where it became a valuable asset, which could be sold. And I'm clearly, I'm proud of that. And also, probably even more importantly, um, I created a vibrant, welcoming community of diverse people. And we only have to attend a social gathering to see the strength of the community and the passion and loyalty of its members. One other thing, actually, <laughs> I'm really proud that AFF has made such a difference in people's lives, be it teaching people how to get to the pointy end at a low cost or scoring a cheap flight or getting you know, reasonable travel insurance or knowing which cards to use when they're traveling. All that you know, has really changed people's lives. And also goes beyond travel. I mean, I think um, the personal connections and friendships made in AFF 
or enduring. And the AFF has also given people to shine and prove their worth. I mean, match you being one of them. Like I, I think I hired you back in 2016, I think. 14, yeah. And yeah, so I've given people the opportunity and generally they've taken it and they've, they've excelled, as you have. Thank you. I'd agree with that. So why did you choose to sell the business last year to Point Hacks? Well, after 23 years, I was getting stale. You know, I really had lost the passion. And I think in this industry, um, you do have to have the passion and the interest. Um, I was certainly interested in it, but I'd lost the passion. Also, I'd lost the skills. I don't know how many times I'd call you to you know, get your advice, but I, I should have known it myself. And, and years, years gone by, and I didn't know it myself. So I, I knew it was kind of time to get out. Um, but then COVID happened, and there wasn't much activity you know, for a couple of years during COVID. Um, then out of the blue, about, about this time last year, I got approached by an overseas company who um, specialised in buying up forums in all different types of um, niches and then um, putting their brand over the forums and using it as a marketing channel and they gave me an offer which was offered reasonable and yeah i thought i'd you know I'd, I'd pursue that but what i wasn't really happy about was that they weren't embracing the community they were looking at just monetizing the the community i didn't really believe that, that they would nurture and grow aff because aff was my, was my baby i've been run, running for 23 24 years and i really wanted it to to, to excel so I decided to approach Pointex. I've always held them in high regard. I always found them very ethical. And I wouldn't say we had a working relationship, but there was certainly no animosity um, between us and, and, and Pointex. So I approached Pointex and they were interested. And um, yeah, you know, a couple of months later, we signed the deal and, um, and the rest is history. And so you, you chose to do that, I guess, as well, because you wanted to make sure the community was looked after in the long term. Correct, absolutely. And um, that was probably the primary motivation because that, that's really my legacy. And um, it would have been awful had had been bought by a third party who just ran it into the ground. So I really wanted it to um, to excel. Also, what was important for me was for the company to have the resources to maintain it, to employ you and, and the other, another AFF staff, um, but to have integrity to, to, um, and the belief in the product so that AFF can continue to, to advance. So what's next for you, Clifford? Well, um, I, I was supporting AFF full-time until, until last November, um, December. Um, now I'm kind of just involved um, on an ad hoc basis, I think up to a couple of days a month. So there isn't really much of a role for me in AFF at the moment, probably never actually. But um, so I'm taking a time, time out. I've, I'm taking a year sabbatical. I'm leave, I've just rented out my house and I'll be leaving um, Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. A bit of travelling. I'll go back to Cape Town for a few months and I'll travel. And then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll find something else to do in the next couple of months. But for the moment, I'm just taking a sabbatical, yeah, taking a break. It's a great opportunity to take some time off after after running AFF for over two decades. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Well, Clifford, thank you so much for joining me again on the AFF on Air podcast to celebrate the 100th episode with us, and I wish you all the best. No problem, Matt. And thank you for your great service to AFF over the years. And, um, yeah, you, you made a hell of a difference to AFF, so thank you for that. Oh, thank you very much. We've just heard a little bit about how AFF started, and as we now know, it wasn't always a forum from day one. But the current version of the AFF forum launched in 2002, and Lindsay Wilson, who you may know better as the forum moderator QFWP, was the third person ever to join AFF in its current form back on the 20th of June 2002. Over 20 years later, we now have almost 60,000 AFF members on the forum. 
But uh, Lindsay, it turns out he we, we checked this last week when we were researching for this episode, was the f- third person to join after Clifford, the founder of AFF, and another member who's no longer active on the forum. And he joins me again now. Welcome back to AFF on Air, Lindsay. Well, thank you, Matt, for having me. Did you know, uh, before I mentioned it to you last week, Lindsay, that you were the third ever member of AFF? Uh, yes, Clifford and I had discussed that uh, at one stage um, in the past. All right. So... You joined right at the start when AFF became a forum, but before AFF was the forum that, you know, in a in a sense that it is today um, from 2002, I believe there was a bulletin board or something like that. What, what was there beforehand? Yeah, that's my recollection is that Clifford had a number of bulletin boards and we would upgrade um, from one to the next. So I can't remember exactly how far back I go, but it, um, it is somewhere near the after the year 2000. Wow. I was in primary school about that point. How did you originally get involved with AFF? I actually think that I was on Flyer Talk and one of the members there said that there was another Australian-based frequent flyer bulletin board that he had just joined. And so... I went and had a look at it and sort of thought, well, that would make a lot more sense as the majority of my travel back then was still domestic. Was AFF always a community of, uh, of people who got together in real life as well? Or like, do you remember your first AFF meetup? Uh, I remember my first flyer talk. Is not sure that I remember my first AFF meetup, but I uh, was instrumental in organising the first flyer talk function in Australia which was uh, 25th of February 2002, I believe. I think it was 2002, it was 2003. The event was in the Brisbane Qantas Club. We organised a meeting room and there were 12 of us from recollection. Uh, Most of us are still on the forum today. And was that taking advantage of the anytime access to the lounge back in those days? Absolutely. We were all platinum frequent flyers and I believe there was at least one person uh, who flew in from Sydney so they had uh, they had access as well on an outbound flight. Well I think my next question might relate to this uh, particular flyer talk event I want to ask you about your username so it's QFWP and anyone who's spent a bit of time on the forum knows that AFFers love a few acronyms there's there's a few acronyms that go around and your your username is literally two acronyms qf i guess uh, most people would know is Qantas. but what about wp okay the one of the members sadly he's no longer with us we started talking about tongue-in-cheek words to describe us on as frequent flyers so we came up with nobody bronze uh, plebeian silver scum gold and a word that rhymes with banker for platinum so this is described to describe the quantum status tiers. Oh, absolutely! I mean, li- literally, as as a platinum, we had any time access, so we literally thought we were bankers. I see, and uh, I mean, this is kind of stuck. This is, uh, I guess, about twenty years ago now, and still on the forum. Like people do regularly uh, refer to the quantum status tiers as WP or SG or I guess so f- for anyone who's not familiar that's the that's the background I mean we've got lots of other acronyms on AFF like J for business class F for first class and things like that but for anyone who wasn't sure now you know <laughs> I, I suppose absolutely and, and I didn't want my 
full name to be on the forum even back then. So I thought, well, th- this is a really good way to have a non-diplume and, and no one knows who I am unless they've met me. Having been a member of AFF for over two decades, how would you say that being part of this community has changed the way that you and your family travel? Oh, without a doubt. Whilst I used to know a lot, I now realise I don't know as much. So I know that I can always reach out to members who more regularly fly either routes uh, or overseas and get access to information that way. In fact, I will be doing that later this year because my daughter is flying over the States by herself. And so I'll want to access information uh, from people uh, who do it regularly so that I can obviously make sure uh, her flights and uh, her time over there is is, uh, best set. But for me, as you used to, you know, you used to only want to turn left, but nowadays uh, with domestic travel on 737s essentially, I want to turn right and stop straight away. I buy economy and upgrade to business on both Virgin or Qantas, uh, whoever I'm flying with uh, at the moment. Obviously, it's we're doing a little bit more with Qantas because of the double status credit offer. And since we last spoke on the podcast, you I don't know if you remember, Lindsay, you joined me back in April 2019, back in episode eight, <laughs> so uh, 92 episodes ago. And I recently listened back to that episode just to um, to see what you'd said four years ago. And you, I remember you, you said that you were about 1,000 status credits away from reaching lifetime gold on Qantas Frequent Flyer which uh, for those uh, following along at home, that needs you need to get 14,000 lifetime status credits. How are you going with that? Have you got a little bit closer now? I am much closer now. I'm 395 status credits short with a DSC to post and further travel in April and May will get me a lot closer. I'd expect that by the end of this year, I probably will have achieved it. Okay. So the double status credit offers obviously help uh, quite a lot with that. Without a shadow of a doubt, that really ranks me up towards uh, lifetime gold much quicker than I could have ever done myself. Yeah. I think that for me personally, that's also one of the best tips I've got from AFF to really take advantage of those offers. And I mean, you're you're a moderator at, um, on the forum as well, Lindsay. Like you've obviously seen when, when one of those offers comes up, the forums light up with activity. Correct. I... Whilst I think it used to be a little bit more in previous years, uh, and again, this year's uh, DSC offer uh, thread started to go very well. And it's interesting to see that the range of questions that we get from new people, uh, as well as obviously the experienced people answering the questions. It, it was quite interesting this year as well. I think that th- there was a double status credit offer thread running for already several months with over 400 posts before an offer was even announced. So I think it kept a few people in mascot amused as well. <laughs> That absolutely shows yeah, the level of interest that we have as frequent flyers with th- with things like double status credits. What would you say is the pinnacle of your uh, time as a moderator for the last 21 years on AFF? I think the pinnacle would have been I got to go on the Qantas Emirates uh, inaugural uh, Dubai flight and media scrum, as I would call it, for three days. All right, so you flew from Sydney to Dubai on the QF1 on the first flight to Dubai, first Qantas flight to Dubai. I did indeed. They uh, happily put us up in premium economy both ways uh, and business on the domestic flights between Brisbane and Sydney. So they invited the a couple of forum moderators, I believe, and you did a little trip report, I think? 
They did, yeah, and yes, we certainly did a trip report. There is, uh, if you go back to somewhere in April 2013, we were doing a live uh, trip report at one stage, and then uh, I think we ended it uh, after we got back. I might see if I can dig that up out of the archives and put it in the episode notes. So if you're listening to this podcast, just have a look in the episode notes. And if I can find that trip report, I'll, I'll post a link to it. One of the most popular threads on AFF for many years has been the Ask the Pilot thread. And one of the key longtime pilot contributors on there is John Bartels, who posts as JB747. Did you ever fly with John Bartels? Unfortunately, no. I do know that another moderator, NM, has certainly flown with him a couple of times as we spoke about it on the weekend. Do you have any personal observations about the way that, I guess, not only the AFF forum, but online forums generally have evolved over the last two decades that you've been a part of AFF? I think it's got a little bit more complex for me in particular because I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not really into IT. But from the point of view of the access and the ability to be able to ask a question almost at any time of the day and to have a range of responses, certainly within a day, to be able to then do your own research and see which one, which information uh, is the best. I think that's the, the fantastic part because I remember in the bulletin board days, you might ask a question and you might get two or three responses in a day so you were always having to check back and you didn't take much to check back um, on the reading. In the bulletin board, could you post photos and things like that? I don't recall ever posting photographs on the bulletin board. I think it was just merely a chat function. Do you think that online forums have become more or less friendly generally? I think the vast majority of people are friendly. However, there are always people that either read a question wrong and, and, and might take the wrong information. And there are some people who think they're always right, which is sad because sometimes they could be wrong. They just don't want to admit it. And what about with um, airlines and frequent flyer programs? You've been uh, a member of Qantas Frequent Flyer since, was it 1989 that you were telling uh, me off air? February 1989, I first joined. So I'm not sure Gosh. that you were alive back then. I wasn't. <laughs> you might not have even I'm been a bit but for me, I'd started to travel internationally. Um, and so I wanted to get, and I could see that I could get some benefit out of doing the travel and getting something for it later. So predominantly, I flew Qantas until really Virgin came in in about, I think I joined them in 2013. You made a good call then with uh, picking Qantas in the 1990s rather than ANSET and Global Rewards. <laughs> I did have about 17,000 points uh, of ANSETs that I did lose. Uh, I don't know, I certainly know people, uh, including some moderators, uh, who lost you know, hundreds of thousands of points, so that would have been much more disappointing. And in my, my thought is always to, to burn, uh, to earn and burn rather than earn and, and hold because you never know when you're going to die and you, you'd rather uh, not lose them. What was Qantas Frequent Flyer like in the 90s? Like, I, I wasn't a member myself in the 90s, uh, but like I've, I've seen some of the old award charts and I've seen like how the program was set up then. It was quite a different program and a lot more focused on business travellers, I believe. Oh, absolutely. It was predominantly business travel, particularly the newsletters that we used to get uh, used to uh, show the, the top frequent flyers. I still remember Mel Gottlieb. I think was the number one Qantas frequent flyer of pretty much 
that decade in the 90s. And I've still got most of the newsletters back from when I first joined. Oh, wow. Did they send them out in the mail? Yes. Back then it was completely mail-driven. Um, you might occasionally get a phone call from someone at Qantas Frequent Flyer, um, but that was rare. Oh, wow. I'd love to see one of those one day, or maybe you could stick one up on the forum for us to have a look at. By all means, I'm happy to start a thread on that. <laughs> I think that would be quite interesting. Finally, do you have any tips for AFF members to get more out of the forum and, and out of the community? I think always you've got to be prepared to ask a question, but you've got to be prepared for a range of different responses, some of which might not answer the question and you might go a little bit of, you know, off topic, off thread. But I think you'll find that most people are willing to share the information that they've got. So, you know, be upfront, be honest and be happy. Well, Lindsay Wilson, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Matt, thanks very much for having me. Would you like help with redeeming your frequent flyer points? Our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions, offers a great service called Award Flight Assist. This personalised service makes it easier for you to get where you want to go using your own frequent flyer points. For more information about Award Flight Assist, visit frequentflyer.com.au. I hope you found those two interviews interesting and perhaps learned a little bit about um, the early days of Australian frequent flyer that you might not have already known. If you happen to read last Thursday's Gazette, you might have also spotted my article about the history of the Qantas Frequent Flyer program. Uh, there's a lot of uh, quite interesting information in that article about um, how the program started back in the late 1980s and early 1990s and how the program worked in the 1990s. Like, for example, there were three status tiers, blue, silver and gold, and points were earned based on kilometres flown, not miles, and redeemed based on, uh, also based on kilometres. Also, some of the benefits of status have changed over the years like for example when you got silver status Qantas used to send you a really nice cabin bag exclusively designed by Qantas uh, and you used to get things like flight upgrade certificates as part of your status benefits um, if you're interested in having a read of uh, the the earlier days of Qantas Frequent Flyer, do check out that article. I'll link it in the episode notes. And as it happens, there's quite a lot of really interesting stuff in the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette archives as well. As Clifford mentioned before, the first Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette was all the way back in 2000. And, and we do still have copies of all of those newsletters from the past 23 years. And over the coming period, we'd like to share some of this with you. So from next week you'll start to see a brand new segment in the Gazette featuring stories from the AFF archives. If you've been around for a while, this could be a good opportunity to take a trip down memory lane. But for those of you who, like me, are a bit newer to all of this, it might give you some great insights into some of the history of uh, airlines and frequent flyer programs in Australia. Um, there's some real gems in there, so keep an eye out in the Gazette for that. Well, this episode is a very special milestone and a happy uh, milestone for the AFF On Air podcast. I wanted to wrap up our 100th episode of AFF On Air by saying a big thank you to you, our audience. It's been a pleasure, um, certainly for me, making this podcast over the past uh, about is it a bit over four years now. And it's always encouraging and heartening to get so much great feedback uh, and also some great listener questions. I, I do really love it when our listeners send really good questions which show that they're engaged and they want to get more out of their travel. 
I never thought that we'd actually make it to episode 100, but here we are. And I've learned a lot along the way. Hopefully, for example, you'll find that the sound quality in the later episodes of this podcast is a lot better than what it was when we first started this podcast in early 2019. So I've certainly learned a lot, I hope, about the production side of things of making a podcast. But I've also learned a lot along the way from the many guests we've had on this podcast. And hopefully you have too by listening to the wide varieties of uh, interviews that we've done. If you've been a regular listener for the last few years, I'd love to know if you have a favourite episode out of the first 100. A couple that come to mind for me are episode 13, when John Bartels, who's known as JB747 on AFF's Ask the Pilot thread, joined me for an extended interview just after he retired as a Qantas A380 captain. And I remember in particular talking in quite a lot of detail about um, the quite famous incident where he was the captain of QF30, a Qantas 747 flight from uh, Hong Kong to Melbourne that had to divert to Manila because an oxygen bottle blew out a pole in the bottom of the plane. So that was quite an interesting discussion. And I also fondly remember episode 22 when I spoke to a lawyer in Germany about a fascinating case where Lufthansa tried to sue a passenger for not taking the last flight on their ticket. Uh, that, that was a really interesting discussion too. But I'd love to know if you have a different favourite episode. Um, please let me know if you do in the AFF on-air discussion thread. I'll be really interested to see uh, what some of your favourites are. Now, finally, on a positive note, I've done quite a bit of domestic travel over the Easter school holiday period this year, and in general, it seems that Australia's airlines and airports have done a much better job operationally this year than last year. I mean, the airports have been quite busy, but the queues haven't been anything like what we saw last year, and flights generally still seem to be getting away on time. It's, it's just a far cry from the chaotic scenes at Australian airports last Easter when um, really ev the whole industry was still recovering from COVID. So it's a great sign that things have improved a lot. And international capacity as well has been um, slowly and steadily improving over the past year. There are now a lot more international flights and airfares are starting to come down a bit and award availability is starting to return. So that's been a really positive sign as well. Well, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again uh, to my guests, Clifford and Lindsay. And as always, thank you for listening. Have a look at the episode notes for more information about anything discussed in today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a moment to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts, especially for the 100th episode. And uh, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll see you next time with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, happy and safe travels. Hold up. 